Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. You know, having a child is a dream come true, but for some parents, that dream turns into a nightmare when a child is diagnosed with an untreatable condition that worsens as they age. Like yesterday, never thought she would have, have children, and then was blessed with a surprise pregnancy at age 42. Shortly after the birth of their beautiful baby girl, they learned that she had a congenital brain defect and she was later given a secondary diagnosis of severe autism. When her behavior developed into self-harm, no doctors or therapists had any answers to what they could do to help this child. They tried 30 different pharmaceuticals and none of them worked. That's when they learned about medical cannabis and everything began to change. Jenna Conforte, thank you so much for joining us today on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thank you. Oh, it is my pleasure, Montel. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. No, it's an honor for you being here. Look, I'm so sorry. I want to make sure I said your last name right. What's how to say your last name for me? Uh, Conforti. Conforti. Okay, I got it right. Yeah, got it close. All right. Well, let, let, you made it kind of sound French and fancy, so I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Put that. Well, let's start from the very beginning. Now, you didn't think you were ever going to have children, and then at age 42. You became pregnant, and forty-two isn't that old. Eight old now for having children because there are a lot of people having children around that age. But you had your child late, um, uh, and uh, what went through your mind? Um, uh, severe depression and anger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was angry at God and the world and uh, my husband for making me pregnant. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I did not want to have children. Uh, I had my career. I had everything really lined up the way I thought I wanted it. And uh, I think God had different plans. So here we are uh, at 42 and um, she, she, though I, I think I knew how much I would love a child, which is what scared me. I think I didn't want to go down that road of complete and total devotion to something other than myself. Uh, and it just uh, so I knew that, but when she was a little bit like a politician, never go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Oh my gosh! Let's when she that. was born, I, I was as I, I get it. I'm with you. Um, I just I just fell in love with her. So you know everything became about her, which is what happens when you have a child. So it, it was uh, it became a joyful thing. Was it a normal pregnancy? Yes, it, everything no, was no normal delivery. So where did you yeah. start to notice? And I, I only say this. Um, when did you start to notice that there were things that just didn't seem to be quite right? Um, I was oblivious because I had never had children before. My husband had had a child uh, before years earlier. And um, so he started to notice things around maybe a year old and uh, about 12 months. And so we took her to um, a uh, behavioral therapist and uh, uh, occupational therapist. And she was like, you need to get this child into a neurosurgeon. So uh, to check her her bones and her skull and make sure that everything is correct and the sizing is correct, which we did. Um, and and so what, what were some of the symptoms that you were you were seeing that made you think mm, something's not? Uh, no babbling, uh, no speech at 13 months. Um, you know, she wasn't saying dad, dad, or mama, or anything like that. Her um, physical development was there. She sat up at the right moments, but she wasn't walking yet at 13, 14 months, 15 months. And so, you know, a lot of people were saying to me, don't worry about it. My child didn't talk till he was two, you know, don't worry about it. But, but there was just something 
amiss. She would stare at things, at objects for several minutes and not take her gaze away from them. And we thought, wow. I don't, I don't think that's right. So, uh, it was 15 months that I took her to a neurosurgeon and he diagnosed her with, uh, something called partial agenesis of the corpus callosum, which is a very long and Latin way to say she's missing part of her brain. So that is a neurological defect that happened, um, in my womb. So it's a congenital defect. And, uh, yeah, so that was when at 15 months when we received that first diagnosis. I gotta tell you, I, I so understand what you went through as a parent. I, you know, I've never, I've shared it maybe once before, but one of my children, I won't name her because it doesn't matter which one, one of my children, when they were born, I literally, I and my ex were going through a divorce at the time, um, of her divorce and I mean, of her, of her birth. And, uh, so we were kind of splitting time. Um, she had her for the first four or five days. Then I had her for the next 10 days. And I started to notice, I just thought it was something really weird. You know, I was, I had already had one child and I was very used to changing diapers and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I was literally for like, and I wish I had caught it the day before that I actually caught it, but you know, I, I was putting her in and out of onesies and you know, I, for first five days, everything's normal. Six days, everything's normal. Seventh day, I started noticing that as I put it in a onesie, every time I moved her arms and I couldn't figure out which one it was, but I would move her arm and she would scream down and cry for like 20 minutes straight. And I was like, what the devil's going on here? And then I'd hold her and she calmed down. I'm like, well, maybe she doesn't like the onesie. And then, you know, the next day I went to move her arm. And when I did so, She's let out a blood curdling scream, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, there's something wrong with her arm. Yeah. So I immediately rushed her to the hospital. And when we got there, and this is going to sound crazy, but I'll tell you, um, she was born in a military hospital. I'm not going to blame the military hospital for what happened, but I'm going to blame the nurse for what happened. Mm -hmm. Somehow, when the nurses were going through giving those children their first pre, you know, first birth immunizations and inoculations, somebody didn't wash their hands because she wow. literally got an E. coli infection in, oh, no. in, in the shoulder, in her growth plate of her humerus, which was really just, just devastating. That's awful. And, and as a 10 year old, 12 year old child, they couldn't anesthetize her. So, I mean, I'm literally standing outside of an operating room while they are slicing her arm open to you know, weep out the infection and then clear it out and take that off. Ended up causing severe damage to her growth plate um, uh, of her humerus where uh, the humerus on the left arm grew about four inches, only grew about four inches and stopped growing and oh, wow. literally didn't keep up with her right arm. So she ended up having an arm that was about... Mm, four inches shorter than the other. And so wow. we ended up by a very special, I got it to some very, very good specialist. And they looked it over and, and she went through this process, a very, very long and painful process of stretching that bone. Oh my so, goodness. Equal, but yeah, poor thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I understand what she went through. So when you get that diagnosis, what did they say? What was the prognosis along with that diagnosis? Well, and it, nothing against the neurosurgeon. But, you know, I think he had seen a lot of children with very desperate situations. And he 
the response from him was, you know, don't, don't worry about it. You know, uh, these things happen. If she needs, she may need some speech therapy someday. So if you need any help, let me know. But didn't give you any indication that there would be any difficulties like autism or no. anything like that? Wow. No, no, it wasn't told any of that. So uh, I, of course, like any parent would, I went home and what did I do? Got right on the internet and looked up partially genesis of the corpus callosum and the the range of, of prognosis that can happen once you're diagnosed with that is just spans the gamut from uh, maybe, you know, very highly functioning, maybe socially inept a little bit, what used to be called Asperger's syndrome. Right. It's not called that anymore, but uh, you know, like socially awkward, all the way to profoundly disabled with several other types of diagnoses. Um, so we we ended up along the profound route uh, with her autism diagnosis a year later. And then now did that, just obviously that put in some issues where it came from develop, developmental markers and hitting marks and things like that. Right. Yeah. Is, yeah. Does she gain speech? No. So uh, not, not that I've heard. Uh, apparently we had her in the last three or years or so. We've had her in what's called ABA therapy, which is a, um, behavioral therapy. It's very intensive. She was going full time throughout the COVID uh, crisis that we had. And so thankfully, in lieu of school, she was able to attend 30 hours a week of, of this intensive behavioral therapy. But according to the therapist, and they have no reason to lie, she did say about seven words during that two year span um, while they were working with her. And I just now started her with a with a private speech therapist. So we are working on that as well, trying to give her other ways to communicate. And, um, and, and, and but but you, you did say, first off, you put her in that that schooling that she's one two when you get the diagnosis did you and your husband just have to kind of bounce around between age three when did she actually start the the, uh, the program well we've had her in several different types of therapies throughout the years so central right diagnosis central diagnosis since the diagnosis yeah okay. so at this point we've we're she's almost 13 so we're at around 10 years of different types of therapy, whether it's occupational or speech or physical therapy, uh, behavioral therapy, we've, we've pretty much tried them all. Um, but in all of them have really great pieces to, to um, and pearls that they can can give to us and helping her learn to communicate or, or get her message across to us, whatever, if there's something that she wants or something that she needs or something that a way that she feels, but none of it for us, for my husband and I, none of it has been verbal. Got it. And so, when did when did the extreme behaviors begin? Was that uh, six, seven, eight, or ten? You know, and I want to explain. So, so you can explain to people what she went through. You know, kind of take us on that journey. I will. Uh, yeah, at, at, she was three years old. It was um, on a Saturday morning, and literally out of the blue, started what we called raging. Um, so three years plus a few months, and. Um, her raging was, it, we were just so taken aback from it. She was, it was shocking to see how she treated herself. Mm. Um, she just, she started to bite her right wrist. She would stick her right wrist in her mouth or her right two knuckles right here. Both of these spots have massive calluses on them from years of biting. Um, but when that started, when she was so little, we didn't know what to do. It was, it was insane. We, we thought she was possessed. We really thought she was possessed. And um, knowing that you have an, a profoundly 
developmentally disabled child is one thing, but then seeing her hurt herself to the point of, um, and I'm just going to be as, I'm going to be blunt. (laughs) Um, After weeks and days and weeks of watching her bite herself bloody. um, You're doing everything, putting gloves on her, putting her hands, tying her hands to the bed. I mean, doing anything we possibly could to keep her from hurting herself. We had to put, we would hold her in a safety hold, which is, basically like crisscrossing your legs over hers and crisscrossing her arms over herself. But she would turn back and try and bite us or try and bite her shoulder, any, any place she could bite. Biting was, and still is sadly, her way of communicating distress or anger. Um, so, you know, and, and I'll talk about that once we're post cannabis and sure, how, sure. how cannabis helped. But, but early on, we, I thought, um, And I testified to this fact at the state uh, hearing in 2016. But as a mother, watching your child uh, hurt herself so severely and so desperately, the thought kept coming into my mind. I wish God just take her home because I can't I can't watch her hurt herself anymore. I love her. You know, how can how can anybody maybe she wants to go be with God. Maybe she wants to die. And if she died, would she be more at peace? And could I let her go so that she wouldn't have to go through this? And I I mean, these, these feelings and thoughts go through parents' minds a lot in our community. They just don't talk about it. And, and, And there should be no judgment from anybody else as to you having those thoughts. No judgment from anybody. I have no judgment for what you thought. Well, thank you. I, yeah, it's, um, it's a desperate situation. Um, and I, I don't wish that on anybody, anybody. Right. So, um, this, this is age three. This is age three. So she's yes. providing and that just continues on. I mean, nonstop it, every day for nine months. months. So did she have periods of time where, you know, three, four hours in the morning when she gets up, she have a breakfast or she eats something, she's okay. And then all of a sudden it starts or was it just from the time she woke up till the time she went to bed? Some days one way and some days the other. Wow. Um, and there were a couple of times throughout that nine months where we tried all of those different pharmaceuticals and supplements. Uh, I mean, she was on really hard, bad medicines at, as, at three years old. And the physicians I was taking, I took her to a psychiatrist, a, a neurologist, a very well-known neurologist in Atlanta, highly regarded. Um, he saw her in a rage and he said, I've, I've never seen this. I've never seen a child so inconsolable. And so for him to say that, I was like, okay, this, this child's got some issues here. We, we've got to do something to help her. We, we tried um, Haldol. We tried uh, Abilify, um, Risperdone, uh, Trazodone, which is a really bad benzodiazepine drug that, that can affect your liver. And if I had her on that too long, you'd have to you know, put her through liver testing. And, and it, these are things that, that the doctors didn't even know how to um how to prescribe these medicines for a three-year-old because they're not indicated for anybody younger than 12 or 18 for that matter, some of these. Um, but we were so desperate and we didn't have any knowledge of cannabis at the time. Quite frankly, Montel, I thought, I didn't even know cannabis was the technical name for weed. I just, right. you know, um, so I had no idea that cannabis could potentially be used for a medicine to treat behaviors like this in autism. So, I mean, you went, this the, the years went by. Right. I mean, when did you when did you first start? When did someone did somebody suggest it to you? Did you look it up? Did you see an article? Were you watching TV? What? 
Great question. Um, it, it was months. So interesting how many of the, or a couple of things that I didn't like in my life were nine month period being pregnant and then <laughs> nine <laughs> months of dealing with Abby going through a raging. Um, but I, um, I was searching like ad nauseum on the internet, trying to find answers, trying to find natural ways to help this child, you know, help children with autism with severe behaviors. I would just search and search and search. And one time I, I was searching probably one, one o'clock in the morning and I came across a blog um, that was written by a mother in California who had a 20 something child and he was hurting himself. He had severe autism and she started giving him medical cannabis. And this was you know 10 years ago or 15 years ago that she wrote the blog, but I, I found it um, about nine years ago. And so um, anyhow, she's, she's writing the, she's talking about how cannabis helped her son stop hitting himself. And I was like, what the heck is cannabis and how do I get it? You know, what, is it a medicine? Do you, do I have to smoke a joint and blow it in her face? Like, how does this work? I have no idea. And so that started the journey of, um, nonstop research and phone calls and to anybody I possibly could think of, can you help me get this medicine and what do I need to give her and how do I give it to her? And, um, yeah, so that started my Canna journey. So you're on that journey. And then I guess you said it was nine years ago. So what was it, maybe seven years ago that you, Sanjay Gupta, did his special on mm. um, cannabis and uh, seizure disorders. Yeah. So did you see that at the time? Was that something that you saw? No. no okay. No, nothing was on my radar. I was, uh, I was a product of the 80s, you know, just say no, right. uh, Nancy Reagan and this is your brain on drugs where they drop the egg in the pan. And, right. and so I think I had tried cannabis, uh, smoked a joint twice in my life. And I wasn't, I just, I don't know. It wasn't really for me. Um, but I never minded if anybody did it. It just wasn't a part of my life. Right. Uh, growing up in a very Republican conservative home, um, Northwest of Chicago. So we just, that wasn't part of our lives. Got it. Um, certainly never thought I'd be advocating for cannabis for children with autism, but <laughs> so, yeah. so you came across that article on the blog, you saw that, yeah. you tried to figure out how to get it. Did you end up having a friend get it? Did you do it in the black market? How did you find it? Yeah. What, so, also, did you did you did you find any research on Rick Simpson oil or anything like that at the same time? Because that's uh, I, that was also starting to, to burgeon. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did see something on Rick Simpson oil. I had no idea what it was even talking about. Um, so what I ended up doing is I called a friend of mine in Washington, in Oregon, and she said, you need to call this guy in California. His name is Jason David. I don't know if I can say his name on here, but okay. yeah, Jason sure. David, he's, uh, um, owns a dispens dispensaries out in uh, California, but big time proponent for cannabis for, uh, Dravet syndrome, which is a seizure disorder. Yes. And, um, so I got on the phone with Jason David. Thank God he called me back. I messaged him on Facebook called me back and he said, Jen, he goes, listen, you're, you're in a triage situation. You need to find yourself an ounce of weed, make it loud weed. I was like, okay, I'm just writing this stuff. I'm writing down loud weed. He says, you need a high amount of THC. I'm writing down THC. I had no idea what that meant. And he said, you need to, and I, I'm going to give you a link to a YouTube video. You can watch this person make this concentrate, make it in your kitchen and start giving it to her. Here's how much you give her and get her off those other medicines as soon as possible, get her off her pharmaceuticals. So, um, so that, so I knew this friend like back when nobody <laughs> was really talking about cannabis in Georgia yet. 
in 2014. I think it was, it was the fall of 14. And so I called him and I said, Hey, can I get an ounce of loud weed, whatever that means? And he yeah. just started laughing at me. <laughs> He's like, sure. Yeah. So I, I gave him the $400 that it cost to buy an ounce of weed on the street. And I put it in my cabinet because I was scared half to death to make this medicine that could potentially help my daughter, but that could potentially put me in jail. Um, or worse yet, I honestly, if I went to jail back then, I probably would have gotten some sleep and had three squares. But, um, but I did not want the department of children and family services coming and taking my daughter. I did not want them showing up at Publix in a white van and hauling her off. So that was my biggest concern was that I was now going to be made a lawbreaker because politicians have decided that draconian laws are still worth upholding. So that uh, I still can't get over the fact that lawmakers make parents like me lawbreakers, right. um, which is wrong. And I know you agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, so I, I finally, though, the straw that broke the camel's back was when my daughter was carried out of the school she was in, she was in a public school at the time because a private school couldn't handle her. She was just a mess. And she was going four hours a day at four years old. She had just turned four. And they're walking out holding her like a battering ram. And the, the teacher in the front had on arm guards to keep from getting bit. Wow. And it turned out she had been restrained for the entire four hours of school. And I said, that's it. I don't care. And so I came home. I made the medicine. I called my doctor and said, I want to get her off this uh, pharmaceutical regimen she's on. Tell me how to, you know, titrate it, how to get her off. And she said, well, what are you going to do? I mean, what do, you, do you want to put her on something else? I said, no, I just want to take her off everything, which she wasn't happy about. But I was like, I, I couldn't tell the doctor that I wanted to try cannabis because sure. it was, you know, she was a mandated reporter and I, who knows? Um, so I did. I took her off of uh, the other pharmaceuticals she was on and gave it to her that day. And in in four days um, of taking a homemade uh, Rick Simpson oil. Esque. Uh, esque. I didn't decarb it first, so I didn't remove all the THCA, which turned out to be really good for her. Um, then I, uh, and I started giving it to her. And within four days, her raging stopped. It just stopped. Wow. Um, and since I would say overall, I, 90% of her severe behaviors have been deleted because of this beautiful plant. And it stayed that way now for what, eight years? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, well, yeah. And 14 you, to 23, what is that? Seven years, yeah, sorry. So have you noticed that you've had to change the formulation or you stayed the same? Have you got the same strains? Are you, what have you been doing? Well, because at first it was like throwing a dart at the wall, I had to, you know, take what I could get from these black market suppliers, friends, whomever. Um, I, I really didn't have a, uh, a way to, to track what I was giving her and how, because even if I gave her a particular strain and it really worked well, yeah, I couldn't necessarily get it again. Right. Sure. So, um, Thankfully, because of the, the position I got after I testified in 16, um, I, got, I got some, uh, not notoriety, but, you know, people started hearing about my name. And, and so uh, I was able to get in touch with folks that were willing to send oils from other states to Georgia 
And so because of that, um, I ended up being able to try a whole bunch of things for her. And we've landed on a really nice oil that is a two to one, uh, 600 CBD to 300 THC um, tincture or, you know, oil. And um, I give her 10 drops in the morning and eight or 11 drops in the morning and eight drops in the afternoon. And that seems to be a really nice combo for her. Um, and so I've learned over the years that, uh, you know, the other thing is with these kids, it's, it's like you have to kind of reboot them right. <laughs> and they build up a resistance to some of these cannabinoids and the receivers and the cells in the brain kind of fill up and they need to release a little bit. So uh, we do a maybe a 48 hour reboot every three to six months, depending on her behaviors. Um, and then sometimes try a concentrate again and, and just put her on something different. So it's all a work in progress. Um, and I think it will be for the rest of her life, you know, finding, making sure that the medicine that we've got for her, um, helps in the best way possible. So. Yeah. Well, we're, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I get you some information about a technology that's out there right now. Um, it's called canopomatics that has the ability to do something that's a little odd. What they're doing is that they are using saliva mm. to identify biomarkers in the body. Oh, I would love to and know that. When you, once you do that test, they can test the child before the cannabis, during the cannabis, after it's gone away, and they can fine, fine tune the way that some of these biomarkers come back within the, the the approved or not the approved, the, um, what I hate using this term, I'll say the normal range. There is yeah. a range for biomarkers here. And they found that kids with autism and kids with other spectrum disorders seem to have biomarkers that are way off, either way above or way below. And then they give cannabis to them and it seems to bring those biomarkers into the range that's normal. And that seems to be where the sweet spot is. And so, I have a feeling that, you know, you would be a perfect candidate and she would, Abby would be a perfect candidate to have this test go on. So every other month you could have her tested by sending in a saliva. They will test it and come back and say, it looks like her biomarkers are in the right spot. What would you, were you giving her? See if you can give her that. So it might be something that might be helpful. That would be amazing. I've always wanted to know from a, from a DNA perspective, like what is, what feeds her the best? What, what cannabinoids does she need more or less of? Okay, well, go ahead and, and you got a pen, but write it down. Canaphomatics. It just sounds like what it is. Canaphomatics.com. They can, and you reach out to them yourself, and I'll make sure that we reach out to them. I know the president and people who run the company, and maybe I'll, I'll send a word to them, tell them that I told them you to reach out to them. And then oh, maybe you could even put Abby in part of their study. I'd be thrilled. That would be lovely. Thank you. Absolutely. So, now, again, we're looking at eight, seven years ago, cannabis still was not legal in Georgia. No. So you have been involved now, I think, or I guess you testified before your local legislature. I did. I t uh, after about a year and a half of giving our cannabis and just seeing these amazing, this amazing transformation, I had started hearing about the fight for cannabis in Georgia. This was in 2015, now the end of 15. And I heard about Alan Peak, who is a representative from Macon, who was trying to get a cannabis low THC oil bill passed. Um, and of course, as the legislators do, sadly, um, the list of qualifying conditions that year went from like 29 to two, you know? So the following year in 2016, 
they were trying to get autism added to the list of qualifying conditions. And um, so I saw Alan Peake on the news and I, I looked at my husband, Byron, and I said, sweetie, I think I need to go down there and talk to this guy. And I said, he goes, yeah, I think you do. And I said, I just want to tell him my story. I want to tell him what happened to, to us and for Abby. And so I went down there and a friend of mine knew who he was and pointed him out. And so I tapped him on the shoulder in the rotunda on the first day of session. And, and I told him my story and he said, well, that's very compelling. He said, would you be willing to share that story in public? And I'm like, um, how public? <laughs> because I hadn't really heard, I hadn't really told many people. I told a few people, um, but I, he, he was like, I really think I would like to have your testimony at my hearing uh, this month. And so I came home and prayed really hard about it and about had a nervous breakdown, but my husband and I both agreed, first of all, that it needed to come from a mother, uh, cause I really wanted him to do it. But <laughs> he was like, I think a mother is, I think it's important for them to hear from a mother's uh, perspective. And so I did, I went down and, and went to the Capitol and testified at the hearing. And when I remember walking into the to the hearing room and the first thing I saw were two Georgia state troopers at the doors. And I thought, Oh hell, I'm going to jail. Right. <laughs> I'm going to jail. Right. <laughs> Cause no parent in Georgia had, I call it coming out of the can of closet. Nobody's had done that and admitted to breaking the law. We were all doing it. A lot of us were doing it, but nobody admitted to it until, until I broke that open. So, um, Apparently, that's what Alan told me. But uh, because after that happened, um, I wasn't arrested, thank God. Um, but I had I had two attorneys call me and say, I will defend you pro bono if somebody comes after you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, then, and, and, and you you know, I mean, I, I've done many testimonies before uh, legislatures across the country. While you were sitting there testifying, could you see that you were getting through to people? Were you making a difference? What? That's a good question. Um, I could, I knew that the people who supported me were, were really glad I was there and were really glad that I was breaking the news, right? That, that this is a desperate need for parents, uh, with children like, like Abby. Um, I remember walking up to the, the seat where I was sitting in and about my heart coming out of my chest because I just didn't want to get arrested. I'm not worried about talking in public. That doesn't bother me at all. It's just uh, what could they potentially do to me and my family. But um, I remember looking at each one of them in the eyes and just just kind of staring them down for just three or four seconds each as, as before I sat down. And I, and I looked at them and I said, I just want to look into the eyes of the people who can decide what I can and can't give my daughter. And, and, um, I sat down and went into my story, but I, I don't, they did not add cannabis to the, to the list of qualifying conditions. That, they, uh, that they, add autism. they did not add autism that year, but they did in the following year. So, um, you know, we, Georgia happened to be the second state in the country to have autism spectrum disorder on their list of qualifying conditions, um, which was a, a big accomplishment for us. But I know you know this as well as anybody that follows uh, Georgia law, but you know, those laws back then that allowed us to have medical cannabis, cause we had this little ID card. They were like, you know, we were all like, great, thanks for the card. Now, where do we get it? And lawmakers were like, we don't know, have fun. You know, no way to get it. Figure it out yourself. Yeah, good luck. Hope you don't have to break the law. Well, of course we have to break the law, <laughs> you know? 
it's just uh, ridiculous. But thank God we don't have to go through that anymore. We're, it's getting better. It's getting much better. So. Right, because they've now actually, you know, authorized the combo companies that have gotten licenses now. Yeah. One of them is uh, Botanical Sciences. You're going to be testifying next week, correct? I am, yeah. Yes, I'll be there with you. I'm um, so glad I get to shake your hand. Absolutely, for sure. And, I, and you know, and I, I got a couple questions. One is, Again, where she is today, do you think that you have access? And, you know, and I'm not, I'm no, no, not disparaging the Georgia law, but the Georgia law is a little odd, okay, mm -hmm. in comparison to other states yeah. uh, around the country. Um, have you ever thought about becoming a cannabis refugee, moving out of Georgia? Yeah. I mean, as far as becoming a cannabis refugee to another state, but years ago when, when we first started this journey and, you know, this was back in 14, we had thought about moving to Colorado or California and we had talked about that and people asked us why we weren't going, but, you know, I, I've really fallen in love with where we live and we live down in Fayette County, Georgia, South of Atlanta, and um, I've become, you know, really invested in this community. Um, yeah. So I started a nonprofit here about six years ago. I was, uh, I don't know how, if you believe in God or the Holy Spirit, but it, like, I know that God talks to me and it was, a, I'll never forget. It was in January of 2017. So a year after I testified, I was woken up to a very clear message in my head. And I heard you need to build a community for adults with disabilities for them to live. And I was like, huh? <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to build a community. And then I heard very clearly, yes, but you know people who do. And, and I did know people who do. And so I'm going to make a six-year journey very quick and say that last year in May um, of 22, we opened our very first cottage and four adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities are living independently. We also started a day program uh, we partnered with a local uh, retirement community down here called Christian City, and that is uh, where we're building our efforts. We're currently looking for land uh, to build a, a larger community uh, within Fayette County borders. So that's just where we're It provides yeah. services all day long with, I guess, councils or other people that are there. Residential. So they're living separately. out of, They're out of their parents' basements um, and into a living situation where they receive Yes, services, wraparound or outside services if they need it. Um, we're able to help these individuals find jobs, learn how to interview for jobs, uh, and really learn life skills that they need to achieve whatever level of independence they can achieve. Um, that's our that's our hope and our goal is to really serve. It really ends up serving parents like me and giving parents like me peace of mind. Like, okay, when I die, there will be a place for Abby to live where they will care for her. Um, and I don't have to be afraid of who will take care of her when, when Byron and I are gone. And how is Abby now? I mean, if you, if you had to characterize her, is she, is she starting to achieve some developmental milestones that you didn't think she would ever achieve? Uh, what's she doing? That girl is a 12 and a half year old diva. <laughs> she just, just because she has autism and is nonverbal does not mean she is uh, not a 12 and a half year old girl. So if you, if you know anything about those girls, they I are. I got three yes. of them. <laughs> I've been through life with three of them. Oh my gosh. You have been through it. Um, but she's, 
I mean, honestly, she is just the joy and light of my life. She's the hardest thing I've ever done and the best thing I've ever done. So I'm, uh, she's been, I can take her to the store now. I can take her to the park. Um, she is wonderful going to school and enjoys school and learning and doing what they're asking her to do. She's uh, able to manage some, um, some switch ups. Like, you know, most of the kids with uh, autism that I know have to have their routine, have to have things exactly the same way. This girl, thank God, thank you to cannabis. I truly believe has learned that she can adjust herself and survive. So she's smoochy as ever, uh, precious and growing and beautiful. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm crazy about her. So she's doing really, really well. Thank you. Do you think that, you know, you're, you're putting together a situation for other adults on the spectrum to be able to live? Do you think that she will reach a point in her own life where she may be able to, you know, find that independence and, and find a place to even in one of the facilities that you're making? Do you think that she's going to be there? Or do you think that she'll always be with you? I am making, uh, well, let me rephrase. God and I, because <laughs> I can do it by myself, are going to make sure that families with uh, children with disabilities, any disability, we can't just quit at the high functioning that can have jobs. Um, that, that families with children like Abby will have a place that they can, uh, that will care for their children lifelong. Um, we have to do it. My, I have a hundred year goal. I don't know if you've heard, you know, Chan Zuckerberg initiative, Mark mm -hmm. Zuckerberg, right? um, they have a hundred year goal of ridding the world of disease, which is a very lofty goal. But if you don't make a lofty goal, you'll never do anything. So I wanted a hundred year goal. And I decided that by the time Abby's in the grave, I want to have a two sparrows village within 200 miles of every major city in the U S um, I have my top 25 city hit list. Uh, Atlanta's number one. And we will move on as, as God leads us and direct us. So we are, are currently looking for land and, and to partner with a developer. And um, we're just, we're going to make it happen. We have to. Somebody has to do it. <laughs> well, now that you're out, out and, and now that it's legal in your state, what's been the pushback or what's been... Um, some of the conversations that you had with some of the doctors, I mean, is she still going to traditional doctors? She is. And we are, I mean, I don't know. We're very blessed with the people that we know here in this community. All of them have been very supportive. Uh, nobody's tried to talk me out of it. Nobody, I think when they, because these physicians are, you know, they have children like this in their practice. They know that parents have really had a rough haul of thing, a rough time of things. I've had some really great relationships with her physicians. So yeah, she sees a traditional uh, pediatrician. I also see a biomedical pediatrician uh, down here who is the one who registers us for our cannabis card. And so we, um, we've had really great support from, from church to uh, schools to, I mean, the schools were thrilled when they found out I was giving her cannabis uh, because it was the only thing that helped her and it sure made their job easier. So <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so we've been very blessed with everybody's support. Wow. And again, if people wanted to get more information about two sparrows village, where would they go? Two sparrows village.org. So it's spelled out T W O sparrows, plural village.org. And uh, where would they go to, to track more information about you? Well, 
That's a good question. If anybody wants to email me, it's Jennifer at twosparrowsvillage.org. Um, I don't currently have a website of my own, although that's not a bad idea. So not a bad idea. <laughs> Here we go. Come on now. And uh, I'm so glad that you're going to be uh, testifying next week at the opening of the Botanical Sciences first uh, uh, dispensary in Georgia, which is great. And I'm excited. Uh, yeah, you, you should probably be pat yourself on the back a little bit for understanding that you're probably part of the reason why this is even going to happen. Well, that if if I can be used for something like that, then I'm then I'm thrilled. So it was, believe me, it was it was a lot of effort on a lot of people's parts. I was just a, a piece of that puzzle, but I was I was happy to do it and proud to have done it. Yeah. Lots of other parents have thrown their hands up in the air. I'm never going to do that. I ain't trying that cannabis, that marijuana stuff. These people are lying. What do you have to say about that? To say to them about that? I won't say what I really want to say to them, but I will okay. say what I would in public. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I, I think this is what I would say. I think we as parents, we owe it to our children. It's not their choice that they're here. And it's not their choice that they have a disability. And so I felt for me that I owed it to Abby to try everything I possibly could. And I found that that reefer madness mentality that, that went on in the, in our parents' generation. I mean, I'm 55. So my mother was, uh, you know, she died a year, years ago, but she would have been 90. Uh, her generation, uh, it, it is no longer valid. Right. And it is no longer necessary. This is a medicine that can change your life. It's not a silver bullet, but it, you owe it to your children to at least try. Absolutely. Well, I, I got to tell you, I'm so happy that you were able to spend some time with us today. Um, Jennifer, I, I, I look forward to seeing you next week. Anything else you want to add? Uh, no, other than thank you so much. I'm really honored. I'm excited to to be with you, Montel. Can't wait to meet you next week. I think it's going to be a good day. We're going to, uh, and, and finally, people, other people like yourself will hear your story and it'll make them stop in the tracks and think for themselves that maybe there is hope out there. Hope is the word. There is hope. There really is. Absolutely. Well, I can't thank you enough for being a part of today's show. And, you know, hopefully in the future, next year, maybe something, let's let's touch back together again, maybe a year from now, and let's see how Abby's doing then, okay? I would love it. Absolutely. So would I. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And thank you for tuning in to today's episode, Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin. And I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.